Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I think it was Tuesday evening this week. Uh, I just vaguely remembered waking up because Heidi had sat bolt upright in bed. And uh, in the past when this kind of thing has happened, it's been because she's heard a noise in the house. Uh, like in Zimbabwe, if we were getting robbed or something, you know. So I said to her, what's going on? She said, uh, I know I'm in bed. I'm just, I don't know where I am. It's like I'm all disorientated because our room was pitch black. And she, she was like confused in the darkness of our room. I don't know if you've ever found yourself being in a dark room like that where you just don't know which way is which. And it, and it made me think about actually probably this time last year, we were holding a youth event at our home. And invariably, when the young people come to our home, they want to play a game called Squashed Sardines. I don't know if you've ever played that game before. But we've got an interesting house to play that game in. And we turn off all the lights, and we close all the curtains. And if you don't know how the game works, someone gets to go and hide. And then the rest of the group go looking for them. And as people find this person one by one, they don't say anything. They just simply hide with that person. Well, on this occasion, it was my turn to hide. And I always say that you're never too old to have a happy childhood. I love the game as well. So I'd found this place in the boys' bedroom in a dark corner, because I think strategically. And I can see as I walk in that above their cupboard is just pitch black. So I remove the boxes from the top of their cupboard, and I climb up on their wardrobe, and I sit in the corner waiting for them to come. They have a real sense of power in that position. And I'm watching people, and they're all giggling and walking around the house and bumping into things, and they come into the room, and I'm just quiet, sit quietly there, and they look around, they're feeling on the beds, they're feeling all around the room, and then they go out, and I sit there, and then they look, and then they come back, another few, and they're looking, and this goes on probably for about 10 minutes. And they haven't got a clue where I am. It, it was actually quite amusing because dear old Matt here came and opened the wardrobe and looked and felt inside the wardrobe and I was literally right here and he had no idea. And I just thought this was awesome. No matter how hard these guys tried to find me, they were completely clueless. And the only way it was that I found them was because every time they went out of the room, I made a little noise and they would come back in and they'd look around and not find me. Eventually, I realized where this game was going. And so one time when Matt came and looked in the cupboard, I was sat sideways like this. His head was right here. I just put my hand up and I touched his head. And he was like, James! Now, the point that I wanted to make is that there was no way that they were going to find me unless I revealed myself to them. Isn't that the story of Christmas? I don't know about you, but the world is full of people who are in darkness, and they're disorientated. They're looking for something, but they have no idea how to find it. And I want you to walk away from this place today as we get going, by understanding that Jesus is all about revealing himself to us, okay? That's the story of Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, I, I, uh, 
I want to just highlight for you a few places in the Bible which really illustrate the effort that God has gone to to make himself known to us so that we are not alone in the dark. All right. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself, this is Isaiah, a prophet, prophesying before the time of Jesus, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That is a significant name because it, it illustrated who God was in the sense that it means God with us. God is here. He is with us. That name is apt for God because Christmas is about him coming. Isaiah said again in chapter 9 verse 2, and Jesus quoted this of himself in Matthew 4.16, but I'll read to you what Isaiah said. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. If you think about the Bible and how God has revealed himself to us, Jesus is described as the visible expression of the invisible God elsewhere in the Bible. But before Jesus came, God still revealed himself. He still revealed himself um, through creation. Romans 1.20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Isn't that an interesting statement? His invisible qualities being his, his, his godly power and his godly nature have been revealed in the creation. You know, people say, where is God? Isn't it interesting that they can say that and the Bible says that he, the, these attributes of God have been clearly seen. He actually says, Paul goes on to say, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Do you realize that creation itself is enough of a revelation for us to know God? If that's where it stayed, God would have said we are still without excuse. Isn't it interesting that people miss God in creation? Hey? Isn't it interesting? Does it talk about the creation so much or does it talk about their hearts? Um, Psalm 19 verses 1 to 4, David writes there, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So not only is God saying it's clearly visible, but it's clearly heard too. Creation itself speaks of the majesty and the wonder and the glory of God. And yet the world is full of people who still say, where is God? Who is God? Why is that? I'll leave that question with you. The point I'm simply trying to make at this position is that God has revealed himself through creation. And day after day, the Bible says, 
Creation continues to reveal and speak about him. Secondly, people like Isaiah, the prophets, God spoke to the prophets and the prophets spoke to mankind. Yes, God revealed himself through creation. He revealed himself through the prophets. But Christmas time is a significant step in God's efforts to reveal himself more clearly to us. It's a special time because God came to be with us. We see when we look and we listen with our hearts. That's the key for us. And so at this point, I'd like us to read together. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Otherwise, you can follow it up on the screen. I'm talking about the different signposts to Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the story about the wise men from the east. So let's read together. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So this is after, significantly after, probably a year and a half to two years after Jesus' birth, this takes place. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It's not a nativity thing as so, so much, but quite a long time afterwards. In the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. I'll elaborate on that later. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Such an interesting turn of events. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and now they quote Micah the prophet, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A prophecy about Jesus' coming, long time before it took place. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. But he didn't intend to worship Jesus. When, the ki when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wise men. The Greek word for wise men is the word magos. I want you to understand who these people are this morning, because it's significant in how the story plays out. They are described as Eastern philosophers, scientists, astronomers and astrologers, physicians, seers, 
This word is used a couple of other times in the Bible to talk about sorcerers. Simon the sorcerer, they use that word magos. I want you to understand today that these wise men weren't Christians. I want you to understand today that they weren't even Jews. I want you to understand that Persia, which is where they're considered to have come from, today known as Iran, is roughly 1,000 miles away. Why would non-Christian philosophers, scientists, stargazers, why would they travel 1,000 miles to come and worship at the feet of Jesus? There are two reasons that I want to share with you that I believe, that are commonly believed even, to be the reasons why they would have done this. Number one, in the East, there was a prevalent expectation that out of this place called Judah would come a sovereign of the world. So now the Jews were exiled from their home, and many of them are living in modern-day Iran, in Persia. They live there, they're marrying, they're carrying on their lives, and they are talking about their culture and their beliefs and what the prophets have prophesied about, as, as um, they shared there, Micah sh uh, talked about, out of Bethlehem would come this sovereign of the world. They had this framework of understanding of the picture of Israel and their prom the promises that God gave to them locked in the back of their minds. There was this general understanding of this religion that one day a sovereign of the world would come out of Judah. Second point, these guys knew the heavens. They made their livelihood out of knowing the heavens, out of astrology, out of all of that kind of stuff that goes with it. They were wise and learned. They had studied. Nothing wrong with studying and being learned and knowing. Because it was in that framework that God spoke to them. Now the Bible talks about a star appearing in the east where they were. Why do you think that star stood out to them? Because it was unusual. And oftentimes God does unusual things to get our attention. Amen. And clearly it wasn't a star way up there in the heavens amongst all the other stars. Because it moved and they followed it. And it rested over where Jesus was. So clearly it was a light that was much nearer in the sky for them to discern it. So I guess in many ways they're putting two and two together. They're understanding the science of the universe and they're seeing a miraculous sign in that sky that they know is not normal, that they know is real, that is a revelation to them. And they've put two and two together. This, the Bible talks about in, um, in verse 2 of our reading, they talk about it being his star. We have seen his star in the east. This is so significant, folks. I want you to understand that these guys had no interest in Jesus, per se. They were outside of the Jewish religion. And yet they knew, they saw a miraculous revelation, and something happened in their hearts. Something so significant that they began a long journey. 
night by night, 1,000 miles. I don't know how long it must have taken them, but it was a considerable journey. I want you just to imagine yourself in that position, being one of the wise men. There were probably more than three, by the way. Imagine how much motivation there must be inside of you to take that journey. And what a contrast when they arrive in Jerusalem, the capital city. Hey? I bet you they were thinking, man, we're going to arrive in Jerusalem. There's going to be so much excitement and enthusiasm at the birth of this sovereign of the world that we'll be able to find our way to his side and worship him and present him with our gifts. But what do they find? Door to door, they go, where is he? Where is this king? And people are like, hello? What are you talking about? Herod's the king. Can you imagine the contrast? How their excitement must have been, had water poured on it to arrive at this place where this king and sovereign was supposed to hail from and the very people who were there were completely unaware the Bible tells us that when the news got to Herod and as the news traveled throughout Jerusalem of these wise men having traveled, respectable people, all this distance to this place, talking about a sovereign of the world, the Bible says they were troubled. Not only were they clueless, but they were troubled by this news. The, if you look into that word, it means agitated. They were annoyed at this news. <coughs> amazing, amazing. King Herod and all of Jerusalem are troubled. The chief priests get called together. They're the teachers in the church. The scribes are the guys who, who make it their business to study the law. These people haven't got a clue either. Oh my word. The church leaders have no idea that the sovereign of the world has been born in their midst. How? How is this possible? How is it possible that the king is troubled, that Jerusalem is troubled, that the chief priests and the scribes are clueless? They know the scripture, but they haven't got a clue. How is it possible? King Herod was the king. He obviously didn't consider that news favorable because he liked being king. He was officially, in that sense, God. <laughs> and now he was going to be usurped by a greater king. I imagine that troubled him for those very reasons. How do we feel about the idea of another king ruling over us when we like to rule our own lives? Is there significance in that for us today? What about all the folk in Jerusalem aware that if the current king is deposed by another king, things will change? What will situation, our situation be like? What will it be like to live in Jerusalem? Change. Oh, I don't know if I'm willing for my life to be interfered with by this king. Hey? Are there people in the world who are put off by the inconvenience of a saviour coming to save them? 
And then you have the chief priests and the scribes who, like I said, know the scriptures inside and out and yet haven't a clue that the God of heaven, who these scriptures talk about, has come and is with them. Is it possible that our churches, that there are churches today in the world where this is happening, where they are carrying on in their tradition, but they have no idea that Jesus is with them. Wow. Wow. God forbid that that would ever be the case at Lighthouse Church. It's good to know the scriptures. It's good to know what they say. But how much more important is it to know the Savior? Hey? What help is it if it's just written in books and you actually have missed the relationship itself? Jesus, looking on earth, seeing how people are blind to creation, how they are deaf to the prophets, said, Father, I will leave heaven and go and live with them and show myself to them. That way they will know that they are loved. They are loved. That's the story of Christmas. And so if we go back to the story here, King Herod hatches a plan. His plan is for the wise men to go and find Jesus and to report back to him so that he could sort that little inconvenience out. But God speaks clearly to the wise men about that. Let's look at the last part of the wise men's journey. Again, their enthusiasm, their determination to find their way to Jerusalem, the contrast of encountering people who are ignorant and disinterested. And then moving on from that place to the end of their journey. Another contrast altogether. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. So obviously, while they're in Jerusalem, this star is gone. They hear all this bad news, and they're thinking, we're never going to find this Jesus. No one knows where he is. But they make their way on their journey again, and what does God do? Reveals the star to them once more. And look at their response um, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Exceedingly great joy. What does that look like? Were they like, awesome, let's go guys. They had just traveled a thousand miles. They had a few more miles to go to Bethlehem and the star was there again. It was like, it's still on. Let's go. Let's go find this savior of the world. Let's worship him. Let's adore him. Let's love him. Let's bring our gifts and worship him. Significantly, the Bible tells us that the star traveled and stopped over the house where Jesus was. Let's just reflect on that a little bit because I think the world is full of people who are enamored by creation itself. Right? The people who talk about evolution full-on focused on creation. 
they perhaps in that situation would have stood there till the end of time looking up saying, what an awesome, awesome star. And inside is the saviour of the world. Isn't it significant that these wise, learned astronomer scientists took their eyes off of that star and went inside? Eh? It's such a, a little point, but I think it's so significant for us. Creation is a means of revealing the Creator. Amen. Let's not get caught so much on creation that we worship creation. It's about the Creator. Amen. That's why creation is there. And so we read that they went in, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. Now, probably in your mind you're thinking they were like, lovely baby. But that word fell down actually means they collapsed in front of this little baby in worship. Significant that they stood before the king in Jerusalem and they fell on their faces in front of a little baby. They saw more than just the baby, didn't they? They understood something that so many of us can miss, that there was the Savior, God in the flesh, in the manger. That word proskuneo means we read worship, but it describes a beautiful picture. Those of you who have pets, like dogs and cats, that adore you, there's a picture there. And if you look in your concordance at the word proskuneo, it means to kiss like a dog licks its master. Wow. Wow. Hey? None of this stuffy tradition, oh, oh, just I'm quite an important person, oh, just carefully get down. They fall prostrate before the Lord and they worship him like a dog adores its master by licking its hand. What a beautiful picture, folks, for us. Amen. Not only did they fall down and worship, but they presented gifts to him. There's significance in that for us, folks. Worship involves everything. Not just who we are, but everything that comes with us. They withheld nothing from that little baby that was important to them. These were the most valuable things that they had to offer. And there's a lot of significance in what they did bring. But the point I want to make is that it wasn't just with their lips. It was all of them that worshipped at the feet of Jesus today. I want you to understand that God is all about revealing himself. Jeremiah 29, 13 to 14 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart, not all of your mind. I want to encourage you today. The difference between heaven and hell is the distance between your mind and your heart. This is not going to save you. This, a heartfelt, a heartfelt response of worship to the Lord is where forgiveness takes place, where freedom takes place, where life is birthed. You will seek me when you search for me with all of your heart, Jesus said. And he goes on to say, I will be found by you. 
Charles Spurgeon said something very significant, so simple and yet so profound. He said, if you will be prepared to hear, God will find a way to speak to you. The Bible is full of stories like that. Hey? Sorcerers, astrologers, astronomers, far away from Jesus, lost in all of that. God speaks to them in the very situation where they are. God speaks to every single one of us in every situation that we find ourselves in. The Bible tells us that he has revealed himself, that creation speaks day after day. It's clearly seen. We ask ourselves, why are we not seeing? Because we're looking with our minds. And we ought to look with our hearts as well. And when we look with our hearts, when we're prepared to follow the evidence right to wherever it takes us, to the very end, we will find God. Because the Bible tells us he is revealing himself to us. And so, as I wrap it up this morning, I want to encourage you to keep searching today. If you truly want to find God he will reveal himself because he wants to be known by you. Maybe you're here today, you're not in that place, you've got a relationship with Jesus. Can I challenge you to shine like his star? To be his star first of all. Not a star of your own life, but to be his star. To shine brightly for him wherever you go, whatever you say. To be the kind of star that leads people to Jesus. That your life would lead people to Jesus and not go beyond Jesus, but stop at Jesus. That is the substance of your story, of your life. Nothing more, nothing less. The star that shines leading people to Christ. <coughs> and can I challenge you here today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there is no time like today. You might be sitting at home watching this on your TV or computer. You might be listening to this as a podcast. You might be sat right here. And you have this hunger inside of you like these wise men had. Keep seeking the Lord. Don't be like Herod. Don't live as the Lord of your own life. Don't let that prevent you from living under the headship of a God who loves you. Don't be afraid of what that headship will mean for your life. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Please do not allow yourself to become like the chief priests and the scribes who are so religious, so learned about the Bible and yet so dead inside. Whitewashed tombs, Jesus described them. Let's come Let's fall at his feet every moment of our lives and adore him. He is worthy. Amen. So worthy of our worship today. Let's be wise and let's seek him with all that we have. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the light that shines in the darkness that you are a revealing God. You're not a hide-away God. You have revealed yourself to us. 
more and more clearly every day. God, help us to see with eyes and ears and hearts that discern truth, Lord. Help us to live without fear in the light that you shine upon us, God. Help us to walk in truth, Lord. Help us to know you. Help us to know you. I really feel like I need to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you want to have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't. Maybe we can all pray this out loud together. Those who have a relationship with God and those who don't. And those of you who don't can pray this for the first time and mean it from the bottom of your heart. And you can find life today amongst us because Jesus, Emmanuel, is here. Let's, I'm going to pray and you just repeat after me. Even if you're sat at home watching this or listening to this on your car radio, wherever you are, just pray these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love that you left heaven for me, that today you surround me. I acknowledge your presence here and I choose you. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart. Save me from myself. Cleanse me and make me whole. I make you the Lord of my life. You are my King now, Jesus. And I give my whole life to shine the light on you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <coughs> Hallelujah. If that was you today, the Bible says that there are angels in heaven who are having the biggest party. If it was you today, we'd love you to come and share with us what you've done so that we can encourage you. We're going to sing a few worship songs now as we close. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.